wrestling fans, how you doing? You are listening to the next era in pro wrestling analysis. You're listening to WrestleRant Radio. I'm Tommy Sharp alongside Graham GSM Matthews here to bring you the front-to-end WWE coverage that you deserve. Listen online at nexterawrestling.net. Graham, a pleasure as always. We are a week out from WWE TLC where AJ Styles retained his WWE World Championship against a seemingly unbreakable Dean Ambrose. Yet there is controversy surrounding the finish and surrounding AJ Styles himself. What did you think of what I felt was going to be one of the most on paper epic TLC matches we've ever seen and in my opinion certainly held true? Did we not call this last week? Did we not say this would be an epic encounter for the ages? And that's exactly what it was. These two took each other to task. And in my opinion, I'm sure you agree as well from what you just said, one of the best all-around TLC matches I have seen in some quite some time. It's not that AJ carried Dean or vice versa. Both guys put forth an immense effort here. A lot of crazy moments, some stellar spots, and in the end, AJ retains his world title. But that 450 splash at the table might have been the single greatest thing I've seen all 2016. I, I completely agree. It has got to be one of the biggest highlights of any TLC match, especially for something that was grounded not in the ladders, you know, not in anything else, but it was just the, the complete destruction of each other with everything surrounding them that made this match uh, as good as it looked on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, AJ Styles this uh, past Tuesday uh, wanted to point out a glaring hole in uh, uh, in the match that he saw and that we all saw, and he said it was an elephant in the room. But for me, it seriously didn't detract from the match whatsoever. In fact, if anything adding a little bit of embarrassment during a high-profile TLC match to the champion AJ Styles is exactly the kind of thing that Dean Ambrose could only hope for. Any amount of embarrassment for the champion, anything like that, that that does make Dean Ambrose's loss a a little bit more palatable on that front. But let's talk about the way that Dean Ambrose lost. Another thing, not to toot our own horn here, but another thing that we had been long... Uh, uh, pining for and or predicting in a way that James Ellsworth would be in the pocket of AJ Styles. Now, that's not exactly true. It could be. It could be. It could pan out that way. Mostly. Um, Potentially, AJ Styles has James Ellsworth in his back pocket. He has James Ellsworth making sure that no one is going to come after his WWE title and that somehow... James Ellsworth is in the running to have a match for said WWE title. What what do you I know I am not an Ellsworth guy. Uh how do you feel about Ellsworth at this point? I mean, I'm in the same boat as you, I feel like, and then I feel like he's been way too overexposed. But to the point, I have enough faith in SmackDown as opposed to Raw that they know what they're doing with this. We talked about it last week or the week before with the Women's Championship, changing hands constantly to the point where I feel like they have no long-term plan. With Ellsworth, I don't know about from the very beginning when they brought him in for that match against AJ a month or two ago, I feel like they knew in overexposing him on SmackDown that the fans would turn on him. At TLC on Sunday, before he even cost Dino Ambrose the match, people were booing him when he came down the ramp to interrupt such a great, great matchup. So I feel like this was planned perfectly. Uh, whether he is in the back pocket of AJ, we will find out soon. AJ was hurt, thus preventing the match from coming to fruition on Tuesday for the WWE World Championship. But I thought the way that it was laid out, it protects Ambrose. He still has to seek vengeance on Ellsworth. I thought everything about this played out to perfection. 
Yes, except for what you just mentioned with the injury to AJ Styles' ankle. Uh, seems to be a uh, something recoverable and within enough time to not cost him any uh, time on the road right now. And that's fortunate because my biggest uh, uh, detractor from any TLC match is the actual harm it puts on top superstars, especially on champions. Why champions need to be in a match that will potentially cripple them or, you know, ruin or shorten careers and, and, and everything down the line there. Uh, is always an interesting uh, uh, part of business in the WWE, right? Um, they have these demolition derbies that even Dean Ambrose suggested that he just gets signed up for. He doesn't do the signing up himself or you know go out there and try to make those types of matches happen, but is willing to put everything on the line. And Dean Ambrose, I think that was the best performance I've seen out of Dean Ambrose ever. He hit everything fast he hit he hit AJ Styles so hard, especially with uh, a, a move that I I, uh, I know a lot of people criticize um, uh, when he ducks out of the ring and and jumps back into the ring the lariat, with, with the yeah. lariat. Yep. Uh, you know, a lot of times it, it's a little slow, it's a little clunky, it's a little bit of a stretch. Not with AJ Styles. They, 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 the two of them, whether they know it or not, have an incredible amount of chemistry. And inside a TLC match. I feel like Dean Ambrose turns off his mind and just lets the Wolverine go berserk inside and, and, and will be willing to do anything to get that belt or to just even win. I don't even, you know, I don't and think in a match like that, I didn't see Dean Ambrose having a whole ton of strategy, which he pointed out. But we did talk about AJ Styles strategy and we did talk about how he was going to take a little bit more of a technical approach, which I think he did. You, you, what, what did you see out of AJ Styles combating against an unplanned, unpredictable Dean Ambrose? I mean, you said it right there. I feel like Ambrose himself, this is the best, I don't know about ever, but it comes pretty close. I mean, other than Seth Rollins, I feel like AJ Styles is by far the best in-ring rival that the Lunatic Fringe has ever had. But on the flip side, Ambrose, or rather AJ Styles, has had such a stellar debut year in WWE from Jericho to Roman Reigns to John Cena, contesting classics with all of them. But I feel like continuing that strong streak, that strong streak with uh, Dean Ambrose has really brought the best out of both guys. I think reinvigorating both AJ's character as well as Dean Ambrose. Now he's more motivated than ever to chase that championship, seek vengeance on AJ Styles. Uh, really like that technical approach, as you said. I really thought made this match made this match a masterpiece. Really made it magical. Yes, no, and you're absolutely right. And in that kind of those next steps going forward, right? This is where um, James Ellsworth does uh, play an interesting role mm -hmm. because historically, uh, the third person interfering between two, you know, uh, between the champ and, and his rival has always been a superstar. James Ellsworth is laughably has a contract with the WWE. He, he's a superstar maybe on, on, on a document somewhere in HR, <laughs> But he is not a superstar in, in most anybody's mind. And the exact definition of the word superstar, he is not. He is not, you know, but far in a way. But he yet he is right smack dab in the middle. Yes. Taking up that spot for another potential superstar to start getting involved. Because Ellsworth and AJ and Dean Ambrose are unpredictable at this point. And with AJ Styles with a, a bit of an injury... We'll see how he comes off of that. You know, I know he's already doing rehab and uh, uh, and he has matches scheduled and coming up. So hopefully we see AJ Styles back on his feet because uh, he was able to pull off something phenomenal, even though he was not directly responsible for his own win at TLC. Uh, uh, not 
to discredit or, or take any spotlight away from how great AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose were uh, last Sunday. But we saw something that I have wanted to see since early days of her first debut in NXT, but Alexa Bliss managed to defeat Becky Lynch for the SmackDown Women's Champion like a real champion. That was a an incredible matchup that I, in in the back of my mind, I did not think Alexa Bliss had it in her to to beat Becky at the end of the day. She she has so many she has such a great move set. She has a fierce mentality. But Becky Becky Lynch is is such a champion. Mm-hmm. Since the, since she put that belt around her shoulder and stopped being the underdog, she's she's been on the top. So, what 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 do you think about Alexa Bliss as our women's champion? Perfect. I feel like you could not have a better leader. I mean, other than Becky Lynch, but I feel like if there's anyone for Becky to chase for that championship, and Becky traditionally over the past number of years has been better as a challenger in chase mode. Look no further than her feuds with Sasha Banks in NXT, Charlotte here in the main roster, and now Alexa Bliss. This whole feud is, I mean, all of SmackDown is pretty entertaining right now, but this feud for me has been a recurring highlight on the blue brand for the past number of months. And I feel like putting the championship on Alexa Bliss, having her win it in such decisive fashion, no controversy this time, no foot in the bottom rope, no mistakes, no pushing her through the table. She literally powerbombed her right through the table, and we have a new champion. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. No. Alexa Bliss is the new champion. And when the moment happened, when she she pulled off that side apron powerbomb to the outside, right? I, I I had when they set that table up earlier, you knew they were trying each of them were trying to plan something with that. And you would expect something off the top rope. You know, you would expect a Becky Lynch laying uh, on the table and an Alexa Bliss doing something either off the apron like or off the, the sparkle skirt. splash. Sparkles, yeah. Yeah, any of those things. Right. And Becky rolls out of the way. Alexa goes through and, and, and Becky retains. Right. And mm-hmm. that's kind of Becky's experience coming through. I don't think Becky Lynch saw that coming. You know, when it comes to that powerbomb, it happened so fast. It happened seemingly out of nowhere. The setup was perfect, and then it was devastating. Absolutely devastating. So uh, uh, it saw a little bit of a break uh, in in mentality from Alexa Bliss after she won, um, kind of showing a a real smile and and a real pride in the work that she's accomplished, but I'm sure that she will have something to complain about very soon. So... A lot, of, a lot of quick hits on here uh, through the rest of the card at TLC. A lot of things that uh, seemed somewhat obvious to us, but, you know, we were always pulling for, for that underdog, right? Uh, uh, Baron Corbin versus Kalisto, for example, in a chairs-only match. Uh, a quick quick side note about TLC, this particular TLC. If I were to, sh- if I were, if I were to show somebody a, a TLC pay-per-view, this might be my go-to example of a really solid TLC card. Every single match on this card had a really unique and specific stipulation to TLC in a way that I just criticized them in the past for just having convoluted reasonings to have some of these things. But the, not only did the gimmick match the, the, the people in the match, but I think that it played to a certain advantage of the underdog in each match. And take Baron Corbin versus Kalisto, for example, right? You put them in a tables match. I, Baron, there's no way Baron Corbin isn't just going to throw Kalisa through a table in under 30 seconds. Exactly. Just, oh, I got gotcha. you. And now you're through a table. <laughs> he, wants, he wants to punish Kalisto right? with the chairs. Yeah. The, now Kalisto has a chair. 
that's a great equalizer against a big guy. Absolutely. And it, it, it truly was for most of the match. Yep. Now, Baron Corbin got the win here, and it, on, on, on SmackDown on Tuesday, he went on to defeat Kalisto again. So Baron Corbin is losing no steam here. He is, he is starting to, to shape up similar to what Braun Strowman is doing, uh, albeit uh, he does not quite have the physique of Braun Strowman, and, and that's why he, he's constantly kind of battling back and forth against top talent. But Baron Corbin is making and carving out a name for himself as a total ass kicker. And uh, he doesn't seem to care or particularly like professional wrestlers, it seems. What indie you, wrestlers, yeah. Indie wrestlers? <laughs> Specifically, yeah. I think indie wrestlers, A number one. But I think Just anyone smaller wrestler, than him. Yeah, yeah that too. Yeah. Anyone, Look at Austin Aries yeah. from a couple months ago. Anyone smaller than him. Yeah. Is, and, and if you think about it, we've seen this type of mentality in the WWE before. The big guy, Ryback, certainly uh, expressed that at different points during his run at the WWE. That he was the big guy and he would eat smaller guys. But there's something more sinister about the way Baron Corbin approaches uh, uh, Kalisto. There's there's not a whole lot of healthy competition in it. It's over competition for Baron Corbin. Where do where where do where does Baron Corbin go from here? Is he is he title bound? Is he has his sights set on the WWE World Championship? He said so himself on Talking Smack right after SmackDown on Tuesday, or maybe it was after uh, the pay per view. I forgot, but he did say to Daniel Bryan. I have beaten everyone that you've put in front of me. From the moment he arrived six or seven months ago at WrestleMania 32, knocking off the third annual Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, from beating Dolph Ziggler to Jack Swagger, and now Kalisto in impressive fashion, in my opinion, the best bout of either one of these two guys' main roster careers up to this point, he has really proven himself to be at that next level. And with Dean Ambrose losing once again to AJ Styles on SmackDown, one can only assume that, as you said, he is title-bound in the very near future. Well, speaking of someone who is not title-bound in the very near future, one Dolph Ziggler, uh, who has lost yet again to Intercontinental Champion The Miz in a ladder match, uh, further going uh, that extra step uh, back, what we were talking about, how TLC is really focused here. This was a true and, and true ladder match. Not a lot of any other uh, elements were brought into this this match between Dolph Ziggler and The Miz. It was interesting to see them keep it that way, to keep it that focused, and in a lot of the other matches to keep it that focused. Um, what, where, where did Dolph Ziggler go wrong? Well, I do think he, he did walk out of Sunday with a championship. Let's not forget, he did walk out with the Miz Participation Award and coming up short to The Miz on Sunday, as did Dean Ambrose on Tuesday. But in all seriousness, uh, <laughs> I thought this match was awesome. These two, all of their encounters have just been stellar. This one was no exception. And as you said, I could not have summed it up any better myself. Each match stipulation fit the guys that were in that. Dolph Ziggler, really kind of a... A symbol, so to speak, of his WWE career, constantly climbing the ladder, only to get kicked right in the nether regions by The Miz, by that corporate guy that is the awesome one, that is the intercontinental champion still. I thought it was amazing. Uh, really told a great story. And then you put the adding the insult to injury afterwards with The Miz saying that he earned the, the Miz Participation Award, but rather he is still the intercontinental champion, shoving it in the face of SmackDown GM Daniel Bryan. I thought it was amazing. Yes, now The, the Miz is definitely not one to, to hold back his praises for himself, especially when they are well-earned. Um, but to see The Miz defeat a very focused Dolph Ziggler in a match that Dolph Ziggler certainly has a lot of experience, no hesitation. I feel like The Miz in any of these kind of demolition scenarios does have a lot of hesitation. We saw that between him and Maurice. 
Um, uh, he, he's not always one uh, to be willing to uh, put himself directly in harm's way. He's willing to walk away instead. But we did see him uh, take a pretty nasty fall to the knee, um, which for uh, a guy like Miz, that's uh, going to take him way off of his game. So after, after that and, and after Dolph Ziggler having a similar injury, it seemed to affect Dolph Ziggler than it, more than it did the Miz. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see where Dolph Ziggler ends up going from here. Um, certainly his career wasn't on the line, thankfully for him this time, but his career definitely has a big blemish right now. And it's face is the Miz. <laughs> so whether Dolph Ziggler continues to go after the intercontinental championship or somebody else steps up to the plate and, and Dolph Ziggler fades into the background is yet to be seen. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if down the line, certainly enough talk uh, between Raw and SmackDown about trading superstars and, and being able to uh, acquire new talent on both sides of the pond there. I wouldn't be surprised if Dolph Ziggler is a person that Mick Foley would be interested in. I would not be shocked at all. And we all know how interested Daniel Bryan is in Cesaro and Sami Zayn. That would be a fair trade, wouldn't and it? And Dolph Ziggler has a lot of credit. And whether I don't, I don't think Dolph Ziggler would exactly be happy going back to work with Stephanie. But I don't think he's got exactly much of a choice or much of a fight to put up to say that he should stay. So he, he's definitely got some proving to do in the next couple of months to avoid that down the line. But maybe, maybe it's too late. Maybe maybe Daniel Bryan and uh, Shane see Dolph Ziggler as the expert fighting wrestler that he is, but somebody that is valuable enough to trade for other people that they're interested in. So we'll, it, it'll be interesting to see what develops with Dolph, but for now, The Miz is our intercontinental champion and deserves a modicum of respect for, for the accomplishment that he has retained there on his never-ending intercontinental championship reunion tour. Um, uh, and then... Outside of all the tables, ladders, and chairs that we saw last Sunday, we had a really interesting additional stipulation of a no disqualification match, which seemingly any of these matches didn't really have any disqualification rules whatsoever. But, you know, to, to, to add that emphasis, that, that extra heaping amount of uh, uh, anxiety on top of your match, knowing that nothing can get you disqualified, you know, uh, uh, between Nikki Bella and Carmella, did we just see one of the most heated feuds fly under the radar this year between Nikki and Carmella? Because I don't remember a time recently where the women um, have had such a standout feud that was not for a title opportunity or a belt at all. And I love that a lot. I love the fact that we can have multiple stories going on in the women's division. <coughs> but um, yeah, I think on SmackDown, we have such a stacked card from top to bottom. I feel like if we didn't have so many great feuds, so many ruthless rivalries culminating on Sunday from Miz and Ziggler that has literally been going on since late August. Ambrose and Styles, same exact thing. Carmella and Nikki started right around SummerSlam time as well. Carmella said as such on Talking Smack and saying that Nikki Bella, the whole reason why this started was because she stole her SummerSlam spotlight. So this has been going on for a long time. And had they not been on such a stacked card, I feel that this match would have been going on, maybe not last, but closer to the end of the show and being Want a very rare no disqualification women's match. And I don't want to say people are numb to it, but we just saw a women's Falls Count Anywhere match in the main event of Raw. We just saw a women's tables match. Three things I thought I would never say in 2016, but I give SmackDown, Raw, the entire company, a lot of credit in really putting full faith into their women this year. Well, and also the finishes have just been so 
unpredictable, right? You know, to see uh, Alexa Bliss powerbomb Becky Lynch through a table. To see Sasha Banks uh, use the bank statement on Charlotte over a guardrail. No interference. No interference. Clean finishes. That shows the caliber of talent to complete something in the women's division right now. It is is exceptional. And Nikki Bella, uh, who has, uh, upon even returning from her neck surgery has been dogged by Carmella the entire time. Her neck has been Carmella's focus. And look at Nikki Bella's resolve. It did not matter in the end. Nikki Bella is that strong and that fearless. And speaking of fearlessness, speaking of the fact that not a lot changed uh, on TLC, but a lot changed at TLC when Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt came together and defeated Heath Slater and Rhino to become the new SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Did you see this coming at all? I feel like not that, oh, this was going to happen. I did have the feeling that we would see the Wyatt film. I mean, how, how could they not? I mean, you look at Slater and Rhino. They've really been on a roll for the past three months. But you, you put Slater and Rhino in a ring with two, with one former world champion and a future world champion. How can they not come out on top? How could Orton and Wyatt, if they really are on the same page... If they are on the same page, they're going to come out on top. They're going to take the titles. And they were on the same page. And even scarier than that, Luke Harper is now on the same page, apparently, as Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt, making them the most powerful trio in WWE that we've seen in quite some time. Do you think we have a three-man championship scenario a la the New Day with Randy Orton, Bray Wyatt, and Luke Harper now? We do. News update. WWE announced on the website a few days back that it is officially – it is now official – Luke Harper, Bray Wyatt, and Randy Orton will all be recognized as SmackDown Tag Team Champions. I don't think that anyone would be able to tell them otherwise anyway. (laughs) And if if Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt were scheduled for a tag team match and Luke Harper and Bray Wyatt were on, on the apron, which official is going to which person first to tell them that they shouldn't be there? You might I not think, see that official again. I think it was easier to release the press release. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's the path of least resistance there. Um, interesting to see Randy Orton almost reluctantly, but in the end, uh, uh, very confidently place his newly acquired title belt on the shoulder of a weary-eyed look, Luke Harper. Interesting moment. Now, do you feel that Randy Orton, the Viper, the true and true Viper that was feuding very intensely with Bray Wyatt and playing mind games against him prior to him joining the Wyatt family and having this coming to moment, right? Do you think that this is still playing into the Viper's long-term plan of subverting the entire Wyatt family? I am convinced that they really are. He is a full-fledged Wyatt member at this point. I did, I did feel that way initially, that he did join them just to kind of drive a wedge between Lou Carper and Bray Wyatt. But at this point, I honestly think... He's a full-fledged member of the family. He felt that if you can't beat him, join him. And he did, and look what happened. He is now a one-half, or one-third now, of the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. And this is the most interested, the most reinvigorated that Randy Orton has felt in quite some time. So I think this is better for really all three of them. Now even Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper, for the first time, especially in Bray's case, can call himself, for the first time in his WWE career, a champion. And that, to me, like I said, is scary and really uh, a message to be sent in the entire SmackDown locker room. That's absolutely true. Uh, I hold some reservation, however, that Randy Orton, his biggest critic in the Wyatt family, was always going to be Luke Harper. Easily. Luke Harper, for whatever reason, maybe it's idolatry, I'm not sure, because he looks up to Bray Wyatt in the same way. 
But when he had the Intercontinental Championship, no matter if he was dragging it, no matter if he was holding it over the back of his shoulder, however he was bringing it to the ring, he still cherished it. Swinging it around. However, I just imagine that that's how he treats most of his things. (laughs) But does Randy Orton know that about Luke Harper? Does Randy Orton that cerebral and that much of a, a, a of a manipulative viper that he would play and pander to his biggest critic to get him off of his back so when the time comes to strike and put venom at the heart of the Wyatt family, no one will see it coming and it will come out of nowhere. I mean, it is very possible. I'm not saying it, it won't happen. No, I a mean, turn a turn is always possible, yeah, right? Well, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, Luke Harper knows. He was around that point. I don't know where Bray Wyatt was. But Randy Orton rejoined the authority upon his return not even two years ago and then turned on him a couple weeks later. So right, so Luke Harper pattern of, pattern of behavior. Yeah. Everyone's on their guard, but for right now, what they've accomplished, champions. So can't take that away from anyone, and you can't take away the incredible effort between a massive tag team showdown to kick off WWE TLC last Sunday, Apollo Crews, American Alpha, and the Hype Bros went on to defeat Kurt Hawkins, the Vaudevillains, and the Ascension. Some of my favorite tag team action, uh, two of my favorite, well, one of my favorite uh, <laughs> in-ring competitors. I'm not a Kurt Hawkins fan uh, whatsoever, but Apollo Crews. And that's a fact. And that is a fact. <laughs> Uh, uh, Apollo Crews uh, uh, having a matchup face-to-face with Kurt Hawkins. I, I believe that's really uh, a, an interesting build. Also to see American Alpha and the Hype Bros kind of working together. Uh, similar mentalities coming from two different sides of the pond with them. Uh, and the Vaudevillains in the Ascension certainly share a vein of, uh, uh, of being able to be technical and brutal at the same time. So w- what do you... W- what did you see in all the chaos here that kicked off the show? I think one thing that stood out to me, um, I was a big fan of, not the Hype Bros, the, the Edgeheads many years ago. Zack Ryder, Edge, and Kurt Hawkins. And we got a bit of a tease for that at the start of this matchup. So I thought the overall match was fun. Great way of kicking off the show. I know you and I have, have discussed this off the air many times before. But really kind of kicking off the festivities for the pay-per-view. And it was a fun match. Lighthearted. The crowd was into it. But one thing that stood out to me was that Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins dynamic. Maybe Kurt Hawkins is jealous that he's teaming with Mojo Raleigh. Really not a story that has been told thus far in Kurt Hawkins' return to SmackDown. Who knows, might be told at some point, but that was one thing that really stood out to me in this matchup. Well, moving on to what happened on SmackDown this Tuesday, the Hype Bros went on to face the Ascension one-on-one. So what, what did the Hype Bros coming off of that match at TLC bring into this match against the Ascension, and, and, and how did the Ascension look in, in your eyes? I thought the Ascension looked good here, a little bit better than they have in the past, um, a little bit better of a showing than we have seen from the Ascension in quite some time, but I thought with the Hype Bros, they might have this new motivation to chase the tag team titles now that they are in the possession of the Wyatt family. They might have been on good terms with Heath Slater and Rhino, hence why they didn't want to go for the championships in the past, but now that the championships are really being held hostage by Bray Wyatt, Luke Carper, and Randy Orton, they have this renewed, uh, like I said, passion pursuit of the tag team titles, and now winning at TLC... And on Tuesday's SmackDown, a couple more wins might put them in tag title contention. You're absolutely right, too. And and, and speaking of passion, we saw that in further tag team action on uh, Tuesday on SmackDown when uh, the new tag team champions, Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton, were able to defeat Heath Slater and Rhino, definitively kicking Heath Slater and Rhino out the box. And later that night on Talking Smack, Rhino walks away from Heath Slater without much sympathy or many words at all really accusing Slater of of being a major 
detractor in almost everything that they've done. And taking being the weak away, link. Yeah. Being the very weak link. Um, I can't say that I didn't see that coming with the, the way that uh, Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton were able to defeat Heath Slater and Rhino, especially with the, uh, the uh, presence of Luke Harper looming in the background. What, obviously, it seems like a very definitive conclusion for Heath Slater and Rhino. Uh, where, where, do, where do they go from here? I mean, I guess we'll see. I mean, he didn't outright say that we're done. So, I mean, I could very well see them continuing to team for the next couple of weeks and then Slater taking a couple more losses for the team and then Rhino walking out officially saying he's done or attacking Slater, we'll see. Um, but, I mean, Rhino's really all really... They have not really... I mean, they've been on the same page. But in the past, he's really shown no love loss for Slater. He's just kind of in it to win the championship. He's shown that in the past. He loves Cheese Whiz, apparently, and really not much else. He loves Cheese Whiz more than he loves Heath Slater's kids, who he has said in the past who he does not care about. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here with both Slater and Rhino. And Slater made a great point. Slater lost on Tuesday's SmackDown, but Rhino was the one who lost the belt for the team at TLC. So it's really kind of a give and take between the two. It's a give and take, and let's let's take it uh, for one second all the way back to both of their introductions to the SmackDown Blue brand when the brand split happened. Neither Heath Slater, well, Heath Slater was definitely not a pick. And Rhino wasn't even on the table initially. Rhino uh, was called in to debut. And who did he beat to earn a SmackDown contract? Heath Slater. Heath Slater, you're right. You're right. He attacked him on his very first night back on SmackDown many months ago. Yeah, so this has been building since the brand split. And it feels like Rhino, uh, when when Heath Slater was was given the opportunity by uh, General Manager Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon... Uh, Heath Slater was given the opportunity to have a tag team championship match if he could find anyone to be his partner. And out of the blue, Rhino agreed. And I, I feel like it was self-serving on Rhino's part, and he didn't quite know what he was signing himself up for. And by the time he realized who Heath Slater was uh, uh, through and through, I don't think that they really ever gelled as a tag team. They would always come out to Heath Slater's music. So uh, coming out to a song that says, I'm just one man, and there's two people... True. It's not exactly like they're com- like Heath Slater's committing to forming a tag team, uh, uh, like the example that uh, the Hype Brothers have, where Zack Ryder had a flourishing singles career and joined up with the Hype Bros and didn't initially fully join and, and commit himself 100% to the Hype Bros, but now has. They same have their gear, own music, same, same music, gear, yeah. same merch, everything down the yeah. line. Yep. That is is what holds a tag team together. That's the kind of team that holds belts together. The intro between uh, when, when, when Randy Orton's music hits and then di- disintegrates into, into Bray Wyatt's theme, I mean, that is cohesiveness. Mm-hmm. That is everything that a tag team brings. And when you see Randy Orton walking down with his, his tattooed arms uh, coming out of his, his torn Viper uh, hoodie with very little uh, sloganing on it. There, there, there's just imagery of a Viper and Venom and a hood and these ominous characters. He fits in with the Wyatt so well and he molds into that, into that darkness. Heath Slater and Rhino just never shared that kind of light together. And, and it's no surprise that they're not champions. I'm, I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, but with all of those uh, uh, interpersonal things being woven together, uh, we saw an even more uh, uh, tangled mess happening between Natalia, Car- Carmella, and Nikki Bella. What, uh, break down a little bit for me uh, why there is so much confusion over an incident 
where Nikki Bella was attacked, but it didn't take her out of her match at TLC. <laughs> so exactly. why is this a focus point for Carmella and Natalia to try and get under Nikki Bella's skin? And why does Nikki Bella even care? Well, here's the thing what I don't get. What stood out to me on Sunday was that when Carmella said that Natalia was the prime attacker behind uh, Nikki Bella's uh, ambush last month at Survivor Series, the commentators were very surprised by this. But Natalia has really been kind of a shady character for a long time. Like, if she accused Becky Lynch, I'd be like, oh my God. Like, I would never expect that from Becky Lynch, the last kicker. But Natalia was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. I mean... Didn't we all really expect for it to be Natalia from the get-go when Natalia took the place of Nikki Bella in her match at Survivor Series? If Carmella, as she said on Talking Smack, did it, she would take credit. I mean, she would want to be. She she was like, why didn't I think about that, about that, you know, doing that sooner? So it's a very weird dynamic right now. I think it will work itself out in time, but I, I don't know why Nikki Bella would really think otherwise. I know they're good friends on Total Divas, as was previously established, but... I thought when uh, they were like, "Oh my God, it's Natalia," I was like, "Why are they so surprised?" Yeah, it, it didn't. It didn't seem, and even Natalia claiming that it wasn't her, exactly, and, and, and being adamant about it. Right? Um, perhaps there is truth to both stories. Perhaps Carmela believes it's Natalia because she doesn't like Natalia, and she knows that Nikki Bella and, and Natalia having. Heat against each other will let Carmella really uh, in for any kind of uh, advantage that she wants. Or maybe Carmella thinks that by uh, getting Nikki Bella and, and Natalia to, to feud against each other, that Carmella will be free to go after new women's champion Alexa Bliss. Uh, the two of them certainly have history uh, dating back to NXT days. Or maybe there's something even more disturbing happening in the background. A very uh, 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 teased and often uh, um, uh, displayed and then retracted element of SmackDown that we haven't seen in some time. But could this be the work of the Red Queen? Eva Marie? Marie. I was thinking the same exact thing. Hey, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised. That I would actually be happy with that. We haven't seen her in months. And was she not trying to make an impact when she first came to SmackDown many months ago? I mean, I was thinking even... I know it was recently reported that she had signed a three-year deal and was going to be reporting to SmackDown in January. Could it be Mickey James trying to get back to the blue brand? I mean, there's a lot of different possibilities they could go with other than Natalia. So I'm hoping this is some kind of smoke and mirrors and it's just biding time until January. But um, Eva Marie, Mickey James, I'm excited to see where this goes. Very excited to see where this goes. Um, and uh, a little bit disappointed to see where the, uh, the, the main event of SmackDown this past Tuesday went. Uh, it was a uh, mostly a match created by uh, the sheer fact that uh, AJ Styles was injured, but and and the fact that Dean Ambrose was a guest on Miz TV, and usually those things don't go so well anyway. Mm-hmm. And Miz TV is pretty much the worst show on WWE programming ever. <laughs> uh, historically, it has been with the, you know if you just if you just listen to the crickets. Uh, with all of the audience reaction points. It's the most must-see talk show in WWE history. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. He got a couple this week. I'll give him that. He did. Um, <laughs> but uh, he had an Intercontinental Championship match against Dean Ambrose. Two days removed Two from a ladder match. Two days removed from a ladder match, to which JBL was trying to come to the defense of The Miz, saying, oh, how can they do this to The Miz? He was just in a in a, uh, in a ladder match this past Sunday, what about Dean Ambrose? Which everyone else said, yeah, but 
Dean Ambrose was in a world championship match with two times more the the, the stipulation. <laughs> so why again is the Miz being coddled by management? Being coddled by people? I don't know. I guess it's just the mentality of uh, uh, of cowards, I suppose. Um, but once again, is Dean Ambrose at true fault? talent-wise or otherwise, for this loss to The Miz. I can't say that he is. It was all James Ellsworth. It looked like he had the title in his grasp. He had it for the taking, only for James Ellsworth to come down. Looked like he was cheering Ambrose on, but maybe, obviously, intentionally trying to cost Ambrose the match, and he did. The Miz retaining his Intercontinental Championship, and Ambrose, despite taking out Ellsworth at the start of the show, still wants to seek vengeance on Ellsworth for him having him cost him the Intercontinental Championship. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic as long as, you know, um, AJ Styles is out with injury. Yes, exactly. And the thing is, is that AJ Styles is going to continue to use James Ellsworth as a pawn in his larger game to continue pissing off a very angered Dean Ambrose. And is Dean Ambrose even going to realize that that is what's been done to him? Because... He is the man with no plan. So Dean Ambrose is not going to necessarily understand where all of this is coming from in the end. And Ellsworth is going to be flat on his ass and the joke at the end of the day, no matter what. So much more to come as SmackDown continues and we head forward. But we have a roadblock directly in front of us. And Raw this week emphasized that with a bang. It was a really interesting week on Raw. And uh, a lot of uh, stakes are on the line going into Roadblock, end of the line. Uh, We are going to see a title match between Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns. With the potential for Roman Reigns to walk out U.S. champion and retain his U.S. championship and become the universal champion at the same time. If that were to happen, do you think that there is a meter known on this planet that could measure the amount of heat and booze that he will gain upon winning this match? (laughs) Where is this show taking place again? Do you remember? Roadblock, end of the line, will be taking place... I know it's not one of like the smarkier cities, uh, but I forgot where it is. <laughs> smarkier cities. <laughs> it's not like New York or Chicago. I know it's like Milwaukee or something like that. You know, they don't quite mention where Roadblock is going to really? be. Really? Ta- oh, here it is. It is Sunday, December 18th, coming up next weekend. Uh-huh. The relentless schedule of the WWE <laughs> hits a roadblock. Live, Sunday, December 18th at 8 p.m., 5 p.m. Eastern Central Pacific. <laughs> it's going to be in Pittsburgh is what I'm getting at, folks. Oh, Pit- oh, oh, oh. And that is not oh, no. the place to have Roman Reigns win a universal title. I will tell you oh, that no. much right now. Wait a second. <laughs> I wait told you se- there's not going to be a meter to capture this. Was that not the same city where he won the Rumble? Ooh. If it was either in Pittsburgh or Philly, but it was in Pennsylvania. So he's got a history there. Check out Rumble 2015. I think it might have been in Pittsburgh. I'm pretty sure it was. Oh, I'm looking it up right <laughs> oh, now. Oh, no. Oh, no. Was it? <laughs> it had to have been. Or maybe it was in Philly. I think it might have been in Philly in 2015. Rumble 2015? I think it might have been. Either way, I know that was where he won the championship, too, last December. 
I know it was in Pennsylvania, so he's got quite a bit of history in the state of Pennsylvania in terms of uh, winning Rumbles and winning championships. So I don't think that crowd will be too kind to the big dog uh, next Sunday. I guess we'll see where it goes. But uh, especially against a man like Kevin Owens, who's really kind of a fan favorite in the eyes of many. Well, and there's going to be a preview uh, this Saturday um, uh, coming up. Coming up at in in our home state of uh, our home country of Massachusetts, yeah, buddy, um, we are going to see uh, a preview of that at the Songus Arena in Lowell uh, this Saturday. Tickets still available. Oh yeah, because um, uh, right. I'm relentlessly reminded by the radio. I thought it was Monday, or was it? Is it Saturday? No, it's a it's a holiday show. Yeah, no, I thought it was Monday for some it's reason. It's probably. Oh no, Raw's Monday. Well, Raw, I was just Raw's Monday. Say. Yeah, obviously. And and uh, uh, to confirm, it was in Philadelphia. It wasn't Philly. Okay, okay, okay. So uh, we could be looking at another potential <laughs> scenario where Roman Reigns... Another riot. ...will follow uh, oddly in the footsteps of his shield brethren, Seth Rollins. Yes. And could potentially hold two main titles for his brand at the same time. Yeah. Does that put Seth Rollins right on the heels of Roman Reigns the big dog again and, and all of this shield reunion goody goodiness uh, bubbles up and goes away? Or does Kevin Owens uh, have something in the back of his pocket? Is 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 his relationship with Chris Jericho truly and actually strained, or is this yet another subversive attack on the big dog Roman Reigns? Okay, so I'm gullible. I think they are really on the rocks here. The relationship between Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens, a lot like I am fully convinced that Randy Orton is part of the Wyatt family. I am fully convinced that there is some tension being teased between Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens, potentially to set up something for the Royal Rumble down the line. But for right now, Seth Rollins, I love how he laid it at himself on Monday that he wants that he he wants Triple H, okay, is his main focus. But to get to Triple H, he needs to take the Universal Championship. But before he can take the Universal Championship, he needs to get rid of the thorn in his side that is Chris Jericho. So in beating him at Roadblock, he's one step closer to getting back on the title picture. Um, so I like that a lot. I like how they kind of set up that match for Roadblock. It's a match we've seen a handful of times. But I think in doing it again, this time with more of a purpose, and now we know where Rollins is headed going into WrestleMania time, uh, maybe Triple H resurfaces. I know we say that pretty much every single pay-per-view, but maybe we finally see him return next Sunday to take out Seth Rollins once and for all. Well, let's let's talk about Seth Rollins real quick here for a minute. Uh, if you go back in the archives of the uh, nexterawrestling.net, you will find somewhere buried in our long history of episodes a prediction from Tommy Sharp, the Nostradamus of the WWE, that Seth Rollins, over a year ago, was building up to a WrestleMania feud and huge heat match against Triple H. You did and that say that, This yes. was the longest play, and it, yeah. it, it, it seemed very doubtful. It seemed unlikely, especially coming off of his injury, that he would continue to be that healthy. But the second that Seth Rollins returned, even before, when he said that he was out with his knee injury and would be coming back, and he, he had to... He had to uh, uh, drop his title belt from the picture after after that knee injury with Kane. That's when I knew that his very next step was not going to be title bound. It was going to be to cement his legacy as a WWE superstar by taking out Triple H with his own move. Do you think this is potentially Triple H's last match? No. I don't. I mean, I want it to be. I think there really would be a no better way to write him off, to really have him right off into the sunset, than having him lose to his protege by pedigree. I, I really, it writes itself. It really does. And 
I mean, Triple H has a pension for putting himself basically in the main event, right? <laughs> Which is why I think that he's not done yet. Yeah. No, no, I, it, I think it's going to be but difficult he, for him to, to step away yeah. unless someone makes him step away. Yes. And I think out of anybody that is as cerebral as the cerebral assassin, it is the architect Seth Rollins who will find that way to get under Triple H's skin enough for Triple H to commit to a life outside of wrestling should he lose. Mm-hmm. Even though he's at the top, yep. I'm sure a contract, Seth Rollins knows Triple H too well. He would come up with an ironclad contract not that not even Paul Heyman could wiggle himself out of <laughs> to ensure that Triple H never steps back in the ring for any reunion tour, for any Shawn Michaels pat on the back, you know, jog around the country. None of that. Triple H will be done and out of wrestling. That's my new prediction. I like that a lot. I like that a lot, yeah. I so. think that's what that, that that's what should happen. I mean, if you really want to add high stakes to that match, you will make it a retirement match for Triple H. So I think that should happen. I like that prediction. Yet in other big news involving Seth Rollins, we saw the return. Big being a... Well, <laughs> well okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see. The Big Show has returned to the WWE, seemingly out of nowhere. And once again, with a big, big smile on his face, walking down to the ring... And certainly not willing to put up with any kind of nuisance flying around the ring like Kevin Owens. Uh, Big Show basically handed Kevin Owens over to Seth Rollins after uh, just decimating Kevin Owens, rocked him in the face, left uh, left town, uh, kind of retaining uh, his smile and, and his rapport with the crowd. Uh, certainly not going out there to just do Kevin Owens bidding by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, did you see that coming? Did Did, did you think that... Without Chris Jericho, Kevin Owens doesn't really have a whole lot of ground to stand on, especially with veterans like The Big Show. He doesn't have many friends other than Chris Jericho, who is his best friend. But I think he was trying to make a friend out of The Big Show, who he does have history with from earlier this year. Um, I did see Big Show not really full-on turning on Kevin Owens. I mean, when he came down to the ring with a smile and Kevin Kevin Owens was saying, beat him up, beat him up, beat him up, take him out... You can kind of tell that Big Show would not do that. He was just kind of doing it for the sake of having a match. Uh, He didn't want to injure Seth Rollins. He may have just wanted to beat Seth Rollins. But that being said, um, Big Show looking great. I thought this was a great use of him. I think it's pretty well documented. I am no Big Show fan, but I think the first time that we've seen him, and I think four or five months, I think since the uh, July 4th episode of the show when he took part in the big USA versus Team World match. So it's been a long time. So I thought this was a great use of the big man on Raw. Well, and certainly... There's been enough chatter by the Big Show for a uh, WrestleMania match of his dreams between himself and Shaquille O'Neal. So certainly, if that is to ever come to fruition, he's got to start chipping away at that now and working with Mick Foley and Stephanie. And this is a big first step uh, towards doing that. But I'm not sure that uh, sabotaging your match and and punching the Universal Champion in the face is necessarily a way that you're going to win over management. But Mm -hmm. uh, he, he certainly has so much history with Stephanie, so much history with the company that uh, he might be a little bit untouchable in that sort of sense. Uh, another big, impactful match with some re- with the the world's largest athlete moving on to the world's strongest man, Mark Henry versus Titus O'Neil in what was dubbed the Tussle in Texas. Uh, uh, Titus uh, walking around backstage, handing out flyers, making sure everyone is paying attention to the tussle in Texas. And Titus O'Neil was tussled in a mere matter of minutes by the world's strongest man, Mark Henry, just absolutely demolished. Um, uh, Titus O'Neil, known for a very physical style, a, a very aggressive style, that doesn't fly with Mark Henry. It is so good to see Mark Henry out there. 
Especially in Texas. Yes. I mean, he got a great hometown reaction in his Big native time. Texas, really taking it to Tedos O'Neill in a matter of 10 seconds or something like that. So, oh, man. I think Mark Henry is another guy. I mean, I hate to say always being not being buried, and it's a joke word to use, but not even underutilized. I and mean, the guy's a former world champion. He's been here for 20 years. Um, but they really, a lot like the Big Show, could be doing more with him to kind of interact, not with Big Show again, doing that same feud for the 500th time, but interacting with the talent of tomorrow kind of giving them the rub, so to speak. Um, so I think I, I hope to see more of Mark Henry in the future. I think they could be doing more with him and because, as it kind of winds down his career, which I thought was coming to an end at WrestleMania in Texas. Obviously not. But we'll see where this goes. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Very much looking forward to it. Uh, one thing I, I, I was not exactly looking forward to um, was uh, seeing uh, the competition between uh, uh, start building up between uh, Rusev, and Enzo Amore. Uh, Enzo is definitely out of his league when it comes to to, to Rusev. And, and, and Lana. And he's definitely <laughs> out of his league when it comes to Lana. And, he, and he's way too naive to believe that uh, uh, any of Lana's um, uh, advances towards him would not end the way that it did. Rusev uh, and Lana attacked Enzo Amore in a hotel room that he was invited to by Lana. Uh, Big Cass obviously uh, pointing out that this was a very bad idea to begin with and Enzo Amore not really thinking with uh, the top of his head um, in this scenario, put himself in harm's way. Um, I'm sure this will continue to, to grow and fester between them. Interestingly enough though, it means that Enzo and Cass aren't focused on uh, tag team titles. And it means that Rusev is not focused on moving his title ideas forward. He is too concerned with who is interacting and talking to his wife. And that is going to be a problem for both of them going forward because after all the dust, dust settles and, and this is all wrapped up and done, they will have sunk months into fighting each other over nothing. And, and certainly Enzo Amore does not seem like the type of guy that is like trying to win Lana's heart so they can be married and, and, and retire somewhere up in Maine. You know, it, it, it's very much a, a, a passing, uh, fleeting moment for all of them. So this will be interesting to see how long... Uh, uh, those two uh, go go at it uh, together, and while uh, while Raw, there were so much great things happening on Raw. It was also very interesting to see WWE Cruiserweight Champion Rich Swan take on TJ Perkins. Very hard to balance who you would want to come out as a victor in that. I was I'm I'm a huge Rich Swan fan since the moment I saw him debut in the Cruiserweight Classic. He has something else that the Cruiserweight division. Just some of these, even TJ Perkins has not quite fully grasped. Rich Swan is determined beyond all competition around him to be the best example of a cruiserweight champion. I think TJ Perkins wears it with a little too much pride. I think it's in that 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 pride is a flaw is a is a flaw that Brian Kendrick was able to easily manipulate. He was easy to manipulate their friendship. It was easy to manipulate his pride for cruiserweight professional wrestling. Rich Swan has a smile. Rich Swan goes out there and has fun. But when he needs to get the job done, no one can handle it. What do you think about this match up on Raw for the cruiserweight division with TJ Perkins potentially getting a pinfall on Rich Swan and putting him in the contention for a cruiserweight match against Rich Swan down the line? And then leading into 205, where uh, Rich Swan uh, had to had a championship rematch against uh, the Brian Kendrick. You know, if TJ had won, 
the three of them are back in in, in, in the same triangle they were a couple weeks ago. I thought it was a really fun match, but I think TJ Perkins, for a while, like, largely disappeared from Raw and 205 Live after having been the winner of the inaugural Cruiserweight Classic, becoming the inaugural WWE Cruiserweight Champion. He really kind of fell off the face of the earth, so... Even in defeat, had a strong showing, really proving himself as a feature contender once again to that Cruiserweight Championship. He did have his rematch the night after Hell in the Cell on Halloween, and he won the match by countout. So he is still entitled to a rematch at some point. And then Brian Kendrick once again, after losing on Tuesday, another question of what's next for him. Also kind of throwing in the equation Austin Aries, who is getting on the nerves of TJ Perkins on commentary throughout that match between Rich Swan and Brian Kendrick. So a lot of different factors here. I like how 205 Live is really kind of putting more of an emphasis on the Cruiserweights, giving them stories to work with, including Jack Gallagher, Arya Daivari, um, all these other Cruiserweight stories. Now we have Noam Dar going after Cedric Alexander's girlfriend, Alicia Fox. So a lot of stuff to focus on right now, but I thought the main event on both um, for 205 Live and Swan versus Perkins for ver- were very you know well-told stories on, on Monday and Tuesday. Well, it's great to see on 205 Live that things are moving away from uh, a standard set of tag team matches. Yeah. We got to see... Fighting no- over nothing, Yeah, much. fighting over nothing, fighting towards nothing. Yeah. Um, uh, to see Noam Dar uh, go against Cedric Alexander, defeat Cedric Alexander, to see uh, Davari um, defeat one of my favorite performers in the WWE, Jack Gallagher, um, he, they all bring out exceptional qualities out of each other, but so far Rich Swan, uh, is, is, is really the outlandish Rich Swan is, is an outlandishly great champion. He carries that belt with a lot of pride. He wears it around his waist. He doesn't take it off, try to shove it in everybody's face and remind everyone that he's the champion. Or he wear just, it around his shoulder, facing the back like Roman Reigns. Yeah, or facing the back like Roman Reigns. <laughs> he just is a champion. He still comes out. And, and jogs down to the ring singing his own song, wearing his belt with pride like it's just always been a part of him. I would expect the same out of Jack Gallagher uh, being a, a prideful champion and the same out of Cedric Alexander. But Cedric Alexander seems a little too distracted with Alicia Fox right now. Noam Dar is obviously using that to get under his skin a little bit. And Noam Dar... Um, Showing a different side, a little bit more of a subversive side to his personality, uh, with Davari uh, continuing his full-on assault of the cruiserweight division. He's just something about his size and his stature. Even though he meets the requirements of the cruiserweight division, it seems a little stacked to have Davari on there. What did you What did you think between those two matches? Between Gallagher and Daivari and the other one, Noam Dar and Alexander? Correct. Again, like I said, I feel like even better than the premiere episode because both matches had meaning. Like, I know it was the third time that we'd seen Daivari and Gallagher in the matter of a week, but Daivari was out for vengeance and he targeted that knee. They told a well-told story there. Like I said, and with Alexander and Noam Dar, it feels like such a tired trope to go after the whole love relationship thing, but we haven't seen that in wrestling or at least on Raw in quite some time. It feels fresh again. It does, and, and it feels like Cedric Alexander, because he's a new uh, uh, performer in the WWE with a veteran like Alicia Fox, right? Yeah. It seems like he's falling into some of the naive traps, not love, but the naive traps that other opponents use against a, a, a face that is is in love, right? Exactly. And it's the whole Spider-Man Mary Jane scenario. Once once the Dr. Octopus understands that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, he goes after the people he loves to get under Peter Parker's skin. This is no different for anyone. Noam Dar, the Brian Kendrick, Davari. If they were going against Cedric Alexander, you have to see that Cedric Alexander is that 
outspoken about his affection towards Alicia Fox that it's going to be his Achilles heel every time. And he can't afford to be this uh, unfocused right now because he has future potential to be a champion for the cruiserweight division. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be naive missteps like this that will constantly set him back. And he'll have to learn from that as he goes forward or use it to empower himself and, and use the veteran that Alicia Fox is by his side and her complete unpredictable nature to throw off anyone potentially trying to pull that over uh, Cedric Alexander's head. So uh, really uh, interesting, always stuff coming out of NXT. And we only have a few more minutes here, but we would like to quickly dive into some NXT notes to close out the show. Graham, what do you got for us this week? Coming back to NXT, the commentary team joining Tom Phillips and Corey Graves a Season 2 veteran of NXT, Percy Watson, joining the commentary team in NXT. That's pretty exciting, but opening the show this week, the NXT Tag Team Champions, the newly crowned champions, DIY, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, returning to Full Sail University for the first time since becoming champions back at TakeOver Toronto, not even getting a word in edgewise before being confronted by the Authors of Pain and the former champions, The Revival. Now, it was announced that on the January 11th episode of NXT, it's going to be a tag team title rematch between the Revival in DIY one more time. And the winners of that match will go on to take over Toronto to face the Authors of Pain. In tag team action, speaking of which, we had Sanity come to the ring without, conspicuous by his absence, Sawyer Fulton, who apparently is out with injury and exiled from Sanity, taking his place apparently will be Big Damo, who was recently signed to NXT, helping them defeat the duo of No Way Jose and the aforementioned Cruiserweight Champion Rich Swan. We also saw Ember Moon back in action, taking on Kimberly, a veteran from Shakara, uh, defeating her in decisive fashion. And then in the main event, we saw some footage from the Japanese live event last weekend, another excellent encounter between Samoa Joe and Shinsuke Nakamura for the NXT Championship. Once again, emerging victorious, Shinsuke Nakamura in his native Japan, marking the second time ever that the title has changed hands. In the land of the rising sun, Shinsuke Nakamura becoming the only two-time NXT champion ever. Two-time NXT champion Shinsuke Nakamura is on top of the division once again, and when will he make his mark? in the WWE main roster. We have so much to look forward to. One roadblock ahead, and then we are charging towards the Royal Rumble and the showcase of all shows, WrestleMania. This has been WrestleRant Radio. We will see you next Friday.